In case you are not aware of it, um, those of you who have children in children's church, you probably are, but maybe some of you are not. Uh, this year, we've coordinated every Sunday, every week, um, so that what your children are learning in children's church is the same thing that I'm sharing from the pulpit every Sunday. Uh, they went through the book of Ruth, same time we went through the book of Ruth. Um, every, everything we've done this year so far. This morning, we're starting a brand new series. They're studying, if you want to talk to your kids about what they learned today, uh, they're beginning to learn about the fruit of the Spirit. And uh, so for the next uh, today and the following eight weeks, we will be talking about uh, the fruit of the Spirit. We're going to look at the first one today. Uh, part one, and that first one is love. Say the word love with me. Love. We're going to look at that today. Uh, turn to Galatians chapter 5, and you will see the fruit of the Spirit listed there. Galatians chapter 5, it's in verses 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such, there is no law. Wow. Um, I want you to notice that the word is singular. Fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, and etc. Um, it's, it's one great big fruit that develops in us through and by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's what God desires for all of us today. Um, first of all, I want to look at the contrast that Paul makes when he gives us the fruit of the Spirit listed in Galatians 5. If you back up a few verses, back up to verse 19, you'll see what he's con contrasting it with. He's contrasting the fruit of the Spirit with the works of the flesh. So let's read the works of the flesh. Now that is plural. Works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in times past, that those who practice such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. I want to read that last part again. People who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Listen to me this morning, church. Heaven is not going to be an extension of this earth. It's going to be a different place. There will be no sin there. If God allowed sin in heaven, that's all heaven would be, would be an extension of the earth. And we'd have the same kind of problems that we got here. We're not going to have those kind of problems there because sin will have been dealt with. The devil will have been dealt with. And heaven is a, is a holy place prepared for a holy people. Amen? So don't get the idea that you can just live any way you please and expect to, to go to heaven. It doesn't work that way. And I'm glad that it doesn't. 
I, I don't want to spend eternity in a place like earth. Amen. I want to spend eternity in the presence of a holy God and in the presence of a holy people. I want to live in a, in a not, not just a transformed, I want to live in a glorified body in his presence. Now, what Paul's saying here is the, when, the, when you allow the Holy Spirit to operate in your life, your life will be so different. Here's the way your life will be if you live in the world. And he mentions the works of the flesh. May I say to you that the flesh and the spirit are contrary one to the other. And you and I allow one or the other to rule in our lives. If you allow the works of the flesh to rule in your life, then the Holy Spirit will not develop any fruit in your life and you won't walk in the spirit. But if you'll walk in the Spirit and allow the Holy Spirit to do His work in your life, these works of the flesh will, will be taken care of because the Holy Spirit will give you the strength to do that. God never calls us to do anything that He doesn't give us the power to do it with. And so, he, so the, 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 the works of the flesh, all of these things, that's the way the world lives. Think about it for just a minute. That's what the world glorifies. And unfortunately, when we talk about this fruit of love, the world doesn't even know what love is in many cases. And one of the problems, of course, is with our language. You know, in the English language, we just have this word love that's kind of a catch-all thing. And uh, <laughs> we... We don't have enough words. Thankfully, the Greek language does have more, at least three. Actually, there are more than three um, words that are translated love from the Greek, but three that we're mainly uh, aware of that's used more generally, generally speaking. The first one is eros, which is the fleshly kind of attraction. And unfortunately, a lot of people never know anything more about love than eros love. All they know is what physically attracts them to somebody else. And, and that's why marriages oftentimes break up because all they know about is a physical attraction. And when that kind of wears off, uh, then they look for another physical attraction and another physical attraction. And unfortunately, if that's all you know, there's still an emptiness inside because you're a whole lot more than just your body and its appetites. In fact, you are a spirit, you have a soul, and you live in a body. But, and, and, but then there's, a, there's another, um, there's another um, word for love in the Greek language, and that's philio or philo, uh, whichever one you prefer to pronounce it, which talks about a, uh, the kind of love that we have for, a, it's a brotherly love. The city of Philadelphia, for instance, was taken from that root word. And, and it's the city of brotherly love. And, that, and that's good if you've got that kind of friendship with somebody. That's a blessing. But then there is the God kind of love, which is an agape love. That's an unconditional love. That's the kind of love your heavenly Father has for you. About the closest thing, I guess, that we know of that in, in human um, relations would be the love that a mother has for a child. When the mother sees that infant, births that child, and looks at that infant for the first time, there is a love that is there 
that is uh, unquestionable. There is a love there that is, um, uh, it, it's just forever. And it, it, it's, they, there's nothing a child can do to break that. It, it doesn't matter whether they are good or bad or how they turn out. There's just a love that that child has. That's the kind of love that God has for you and me. He loves us. Did you know that there's nothing you can do? There's nothing you can do to earn more of the love of God. God already loves you. God already loves an unconditional love. And it's a forever love. He will never stop loving you. Did you also know that there's nothing you can do to make God love you less? It, 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 if you're a sinner, if, if, you, if you do the most hideous thing in the world, it doesn't change the fact that God still loves you. Now, you can disappoint God or, or you can find favor with God by, by doing things that please him more. But as far as changing his love, that agape love of God is unconditional and it is eternal. And I don't know about you, but that makes me happy when I think that my heavenly father loves me like that. How about you? Are you glad for his love? And so he contrasts it by saying, if you and I will just allow the Holy Spirit to work inside of us, he will produce this fruit in our lives. It's not something that we work at. It's something that the Holy Spirit does. You know, there, we talk sometimes about soil and planting and, and all of that. And, and that certainly is, is applicable in certain things. But this is not a garden that we're planting and sowing and developing. This is a garden that the Holy Spirit is planting and sowing uh, and, and, and plowing and sowing and, and, and bringing to fruition. That's the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives to make us more like Jesus all the time. Now, the second thing that we find when Paul, in the Pauline epistles when he deals with this fruit of love in our lives is a, a comparison. And he, he makes a comparison of fruits and gifts because he talks about them in the same uh, general area of his writing. In 1 Corinthians, he talks about the gifts of the Spirit in chapter 12, and he talks about the gifts of the Spirit in chapter 14. But sandwiched right between those two chapters is a chapter that he talks about a fruit of the Spirit. Now, let me take you to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, where he's making a comparison between the fruit and the gifts. The last verse, here's the way he winds it up. He said, but earnestly desire the best gifts. Now, he's just done a teaching on the gifts. And I'll go back over those in just a moment. But he, he presents all these gifts, and he said, these gifts are good. And you ought to desire these gifts. And in fact, you ought to desire the best gifts. You ought to seek God for the gifts. There's nothing wrong with that. But look at this. And yet, he says, I show you a more excellent way. Comparing the gifts and the fruit, he lifts the fruit even above the gifts. He said, gifts are wonderful. Here are the gifts that he mentions in this 12th chapter. He mentions the word of wisdom. He mentions the word of knowledge. He mentions faith. He mentions gifts of healing. He mentions working of miracles. He mentions prophecy. 
He mentions discerning of spirits. He mentions tongues. He mentions interpretation of tongues. All of these are very important. And they're gifts in the body of Christ. And it's wonderful when we see the gifts of the Spirit operating. You saw this morning standing right here evidence of the working of miracles, of healing that the Lord did in the life of little journey. It's the only reason she's here this morning. And, and we thank God for these things. As wonderful as they are, Paul said, don't forget the importance of the fruit. And folks, if there's any area that the church tends to get out of balance on, it's this thing of the gifts and the fruit. I see people that get so carried away with the gifts and they want this gift and they want that gift and they want to prophesy and they want to do this and they want to do that and they want to do the other. And all of these are wonderful and we thank God for them. But if the fruit of the Spirit is not developed in your life, something is tragically missing. And let me show you what Paul says about it. Now, he ends this chapter by saying, I show you a more excellent way. Here's the more excellent way. It's chapter 13. I'm going to read the whole chapter. You ready? Listen to this. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not love, I become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. Let me stop right here long enough to say, do you see right here in these first few verses the listing of several of the gifts of the Spirit? He's talking about prophecy. He's talking about understanding mysteries. That would be discerning. He's talking about knowledge. He's talking about the gift of faith, all of these gifts. And he said, yet, if you have all these gifts operating in your life, but you're void of love, you're nothing. That puts pretty strong emphasis on the fruit of the Spirit, wouldn't you say? Let me continue to read. Verse 3, and though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. But whether there are prophecies, they'll fail. Whether there are tongues, they'll cease. Where there's knowledge, it'll vanish away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know also just as I am known. And now abides faith hope and love these three but the greatest of these is what love 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 we're starting off with love this is a fruit of the spirit if that is developed in you that's that that's the greatest thing that, that can be achieved in our lives is to allow the holy spirit to develop the fruit of the spirit in our lives i tell you it bothers me when I see people who operate in, in great levels of, of gifts and yet they're very 
lacking in some of the fruit of the Spirit. I remember several years ago we had a, we had a guest speaker one Sunday morning, and, and um, at lunch this guy was so rude to the waitress. I was embarrassed. He was so rude to the waitress, I had to call the waitress aside and apologize. I promise you that guy won't be coming back here because there's something wrong with ministry if it comes to be served and not to serve. Amen? There's something wrong with ministry that can point a finger out there to you but doesn't apply the same things to their own lives. There's something wrong with that. And, and, and to, to have the Spirit of Christ developed in us is the greatest thing in all the world. Amen. Jesus taught us that. My goodness alive. Look at the life of Jesus and you'll see that, that Jesus ministered. He said, I, I didn't come to be ministered to. I came to minister. I didn't come to be a, a big guy up here on a pedestal and everybody serve me and, and, and me sit here and, and build my own little kingdom. That's not what I came. I came to serve. Many years ago, my, my oldest son and his wife, right after they got married, they gave me a figurine of Jesus washing his disciples' feet. And I put it in my office where I see it daily. I, I, I have to look at it every day that I go into my office. I, I, want my, I want to remind myself of the fact that my Lord Jesus left the jewel-decked throne of glory at the right hand of the Father and came to this sin-cursed earth not to be honored and praised and, 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 and cared for, and, but he came to minister. And that's what our Heavenly Father is trying to develop in us. Listen, folks, as important as the gifts of the Spirit are, there's nothing that will draw men and women to Jesus like the fruit of the Spirit fully developed in your life. People can tell when you love them. Amen. People can tell when you love them. And by the way, that, that, that is a supernatural thing. I know everybody's not lovable. You probably got a relative or two that, uh, you know, you got to have the grace of God to love some people. You got to have the fruit and the gift. Some, some folks, you got to have a gift of miracle to go along with the fruit of the Spirit to love, to love some people. But the Holy Spirit will develop that in you if you let him. And, and, and it's, there's a reason for this. God doesn't ask us to do these difficult things so we can be tormented. And No, it's right the opposite. It's right the opposite. God calls on us to do this so that we will be more like him and he gets the glory, but so that we will be blessed as well. Let me tell you, when you get all the hate and the resentment and the jealousy and the envy and the strife and all that stuff out of your heart and it's filled with the love of God, then you'll know what that next fruit is that we're going to talk about. And that's joy unspeakable and full of glory and the peace of God that passes understanding. You can't have that stuff as long as these other things are in your heart. But when the Holy Spirit digs that up and weeds that out and fills you with the love of God, you're a happy person then. You understand what Jesus talked about when he said, I came to give you life and life more abundantly. When you can look around and say, I, I just love everybody. Praise God. Amen. That's what the Lord wants us to do. And then he shows us the conduct 
We've seen the contrast and we've seen the comparison. Here's the conduct. It's love in action. Jesus gave a parable that really deals with this thing. And let me give you the setting of the parable and then I'll read the parable. It's in Luke chapter 10. One day Jesus was teaching to his disciples and a whole crowd of people. And in that crowd were people that were skeptical. In that crowd were people that had come to criticize And in that crowd were some plants that were there to ask him questions for the purpose of trying to trick him up, trip him up, and uh, so they could find fault with him. And one of these guys stood up. He was a doctor of the law, and he stood up with a question. He said, "Uh, what's what's the greatest commandment? Jesus said, well, what do you think? You know the law. You're, you're one of those guys. You've already learned the, four, uh, the first five books of the Bible. You can quote them. Tell me what you think. And he said, well, the way I understand the word, you're supposed to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. What else? And he said, well, the second one would be just like it. Love your neighbors yourself. Jesus said, well, why are you asking me the question? There it is. You know, you know the answer to that. Went on with the sermon, and the guy raised his hand again. He said, Second question, follow-up question. Master, who's my neighbor? If I'm supposed to love my neighbor as myself, who is my neighbor? And Jesus gives this parable in response to that question. You're familiar with the story, so let me read it. Luke 10, 30 to 35. Then Jesus answered and said, he's answering this lawyer, a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among thieves who stripped him of his clothing wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a certain priest came down the road and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, when he had arrived at the place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was and when he saw him, he had compassion. So he went to him, bandaged up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, And he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. On the next day, when he departed, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said to him, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. This is a story. And Jesus asked another question to this guy, and I'll give you that in just a moment. But here's the story. In this story... There are three philosophies of life that are given. The first one is the philosophy of the thieves. Here's the philosophy of the thieves. They're the ones that took this guy, beat him up, took his clothes and everything that he had and left. The thieves had a philosophy of life and this is their philosophy of life. What's yours is mine and I'll take it. Now folks, that's the world's way of living. What's yours is mine and I'll take it. By the way, we got some whirly politicians up in Washington that have that same idea. What's yours is mine, and we're going to take it. Beware when you vote. Pray and ask God to give you wisdom and direction. Amen. That's, that's the philosophy of the world. That, those are, that, the works of the flesh come out of that. It's a selfishness. It's, a, it, it's I'll take, I'll take, I'll get. I'll, it doesn't matter by hook or crook how I have to do what I have to do. I'll, I'll lie, I'll cheat, I'll swindle, I'll steal, I'll do whatever. What's yours? I'm mine. I'll, we'll just, if we can get it, we'll take it and feel good about it. But then, 
Now, we don't have any problem with that. I, I venture to say that sitting here in this congregation this morning, there's probably not anybody that lives by that philosophy of life. If you do, I want you to be the first one in the altar in a few minutes, okay? That, that's, that's the world's philosophy of life. That's, a, that's an unregenerated sinner's way of thinking. If you've, been, if you've been to the cross or you're trying to follow the Lord at all, you, you know better than that. So then Jesus presents the philosophy of life that the religious leaders live by. I remind you again, these are religious leaders. One of them's a priest. The other's of the Levitical tribe as well. He serves at the house of God. These are people that are around it all the time. And their philosophy of life is what's mine is mine, and I'm going to keep it. That's the way they live. What's mine is mine, and I'm going to keep it. Yeah, they saw this guy, destitute knee, walked on the other side of the road, said he got his problems, I got my problems. I'm going to keep mine. Now, folks, unfortunately, we see people in the family of God who have not yet yielded to the Holy Spirit and allowed him to do enough work in their life of sanctification to get that out. Have you ever met somebody that was greedy? There are greedy people that claim to be Christians. What's mine is mine, and I'll keep it. You know, yeah, get all you can, can all you get, and sit on the can. That's the way they live. You know? Just greed, just more, 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 more. They wouldn't cheat you. They wouldn't steal from you. They get it honestly. They work hard. Some of them work two or three jobs. But, boy, once they get it, you can't. You couldn't pry their fingers off of it because what's mine is mine. I'm going to get that. These are religious guys. This is a priest and a Levite that had this philosophy of life. Let let me tell you, that's a miserable way to live. Some folks are so tight, you know. I heard Mark Lowry say that when he he, uh, he had a motorcycle wreck in Houston and, and sort of like my son, he messed himself up and they had to come get him in an ambulance and he said, boy, those ambulances don't ride good. They're not built for comfort. They're built for utility. He said, the ambulance that I rode in was so rough. He said, the guy ran over a quarter, and I knew it was heads. <laughs> some, some people are so tight. <laughs> uh, uh, let's leave that alone. Um, But then Jesus presents a third philosophy of life. This is the Samaritan's philosophy of life. What's mine is yours, and I'll share it. Now, out of this story, Jesus lifts this philosophy of life and holds it up above all those others. And and as Jesus so often does in a parable, he he uses such an exaggeration that you can't miss it. He uses a Samaritan of all things. Samaritans and Jews didn't have anything to do with each other. They were racially disconnected. They were culturally disconnected. And they didn't have any desire to connect, typically speaking. 
In other words, this Samaritan was raised with the idea that you're prejudiced against Jews. You don't like Jews because they're Jews. You don't like them because of the way they look. You don't like them because of the way they act. You don't like them because of their culture. You You just don't like them. But evidently, this man has had a change of heart because the Bible said he was moved with compassion on this Jew, this person that he had been taught racially to not like or maybe even to despise. And Jesus said, this is the way you want to live if you want to be happy. And can I tell you something this morning? If you've been to the cross of Calvary, your sins have been washed away. The blood of Jesus has covered all of that, taken care of it for you. And the Holy Spirit has been doing his work in your life. You are arriving at that more and more every day. And that's the way we are in the body of Christ. We look around. We just love each other. Isn't that wonderful? We just love each other. We just love each other. We come to church on Sunday. We just love each other. We don't pay any attention whether you're my color or not my color or you're my culture or not my color. What difference does that make? We're all created by our heavenly Father, and Jesus died for us all, and we've all been to the cross, and we're one great big family in him. Give him praise today. He's worthy. Hallelujah. Glory to God. So the love of God abounds in our hearts. And that's what God is wanting to create in us. And I'll close with this, the command. We are to live a life that is motivated by love. Now look what Jesus says back to Luke chapter 10 to that guy that asked the question. Jesus looks back at him after he told this story the good Samaritan. He said, so which of these three was neighbor to him who fell among thieves? And that young guy answered him back and said, he who showed mercy on him. Now look at this. Then Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. Church, that's the way we're supposed to live. Go and do likewise. We're supposed to allow the Holy Spirit to do such a work in our lives until he develops the fruit of love in us till it just becomes a natural thing for us to love one another. And it goes beyond just one another. Amen. It makes you love your in-laws and your outlaws. It, It makes you love your neighbor. It makes you even love people who despitefully use you and do all manner of terrible things against you. It makes you love them too. And folks, when we reach that as a church body and people seize in the lives of new hopers the love of God, it passes understanding. They know there's something different about that. That's not the way it works out here in the world. That's not the way you, it's different. They will be drawn to Jesus. And that's the goal, that we can lift up Jesus. He can be lifted up in our lives. Will you stand with me, please? I want the prayer team to come quickly and any staff members or board members or grow group leaders that we have to help us today. Come on. Let me, let me 
tell you this little this true story, and then we'll pray. Many years ago, there was a couple that worked with Wycliffe Bible translators, and they went to Brazil to a, a tribe of Indians in Brazil in the steep interior mountain area. And when they, when they arrived there, the Indians in that tribe referred to Doug, Doug and his wife, Mrs. Milan, the Milans, um, they referred to Doug as the white man. A white man has come. And by the way, they didn't say that very graciously. They said it very sarcastically. And they, they said it with disdain. And the reason for that is because there'd been white men come to their tribe before. And they were always there to do business with them, but they were there to cheat them, to swindle them, to take advantage of them, to get them drunk and take their goods. And so they, they had a white men represented bad things to them. But as Doug and his wife moved in and, and began to work among them and began to learn their language and they had dealings with them and always in their dealings they were right and, and, and just and they never tried to cheat them or swindle them. After a while, they stopped calling Doug the white man and they started calling him the respectable white man. There, in other words, they're saying, there's one. He's here. Doug's the one. He's a respectable white man. Well, time went on as they continued to live there and share the gospel with them. Till after a while, they, they didn't call him the white man or the respectable white man. They started calling him the white Indian. In other words, he, he's become part of our culture, the white Indian. But then one day, they found an Indian that had been wounded he was almost dead. He was dirty, filthy. When they, they got him to the Milans, they had set up a little, a little clinic there. And, and some of the people from the village came around and, and they saw the Milans washing that guy's dirty feet. His feet was filthy. And they were washing his feet and bandaging his wounds and cleaning him up and taking care of him. And, Suddenly, they came up with a new name. They started calling him the man of God. And from that day forward, as long as they lived among those Indians, that tribe in Brazil, they referred to Doug as the man of God, the man of God. Church, can I tell you this morning that that's what the Holy Spirit wants to develop in us? so that the world can see Jesus in us and through us. And we can be known more than just by our surname or our family name or our vocation or our title. This world needs to see men of God, women of God. Referred to Miss Milan as that woman of God. And only the Holy Spirit can do that, but he can do that. Amen? He can do that. 
And, and I pray that God will give us a hunger and a desire for that as much as we have for anything else. Because that's what brings people to Jesus. Amen. God bless you. The altar's open if you want to pray. If you're unsaved this morning, I plead with you, come and give your heart to Jesus. If you're away from the Lord, why don't you come on back home today? If you're sick in body, why don't you come? We'll be glad to anoint you and pray for you and believe God for your healing right here in this service today. If you have needs of other kind, it may be financial needs, it may be family needs, whatever your need is, come and let somebody pray with you. Maybe you just want to find a place to pray. Maybe there are many of you today that may just want to say, Holy Spirit, I come this morning and give you permission to begin to do a deeper work in my life. I give you permission to do a deeper work in my life. Plant the seed. Pull out the weeds. Whatever you need to do, I want you to develop love in me. God bless you as you pray. The altar's open.